Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. And peace be with you, Carlton. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, as Brother Zakir said, um, I'm an English revert to Islam. I embraced Islam 15 years ago. Um, originally, I was an atheist, and from there, I became an agnostic, where I believed in a creator. And, and then from there, obviously, I became a Muslim. The title of the debate is, Is Jesus God? Uh, now, before I continue, I'm going to be reading a lot because I've not memorized this. So, as I said, I'm not used to this kind of format, so I want to make sure I get everything out there. So, the question, Is Jesus God? Now, we need to understand um, the question before we can answer it. So, what do we mean by God? Now, there are many different understandings of the word God. So, it's important to know what we're talking about so we can test the claim fairly without creating any straw men definitions. So by this word, I'm referring to an almighty creator who is all-powerful, all-knowing. The type of creator an agnostic may concede exists. May not go as far as believing in religion, but they'll accept that there must be something and it must be all-powerful and it must be all-knowing to have created everything that exists. These are also some of the attributes of God that we will find in the Bible as well. So now we can understand what is meant by God. We can now try and answer the question. Is Jesus an all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the heavens and, heavens and earth, who guided the prophets of the past, gave them power to perform miracles, the one who told Noah to build an ark, the one who told Abraham to circumcise himself and to sacrifice his son, the one who helped Moses rescue the children of Israel from the Pharaoh, the one who put Jesus in the womb of Mary? So this is the question we're asking. So now before I try to unravel this question, I need to tell you the method I'll be using. First of all, I've come to know that not all Christians believe the same thing when it comes to Jesus, who he was, even if they belong to the same denomination, there are still differences. Now, from the little knowledge I have of Carlton, now, I'd be honest with you, this was a few years ago I watched his debate, he seems to believe in things which would be heresy according to the teachings of mainstream Orthodox Christianity, and uh, back in the day he would have been burned at the stake for such a heresy. <laughs> so today I'm not here to debate heretical beliefs. I'm here to address the claims of mainstream Orthodox Christianity. If I'm wrong about Carlton and he doesn't subscribe to any heresy, then that's great, as I'll, I will be directly addressing him and his beliefs as well. Now, another thing. For this debate, I'll not be approaching it from an Islamic angle, as I see no point in trying to use Islamic sources to determine this claim, when those sources are not accepted by mainstream Orthodox Christianity as reliable or valid. So I will not be appealing to the Qur'an, Hadith, or any Islamic school of thought to support my position with regards to this claim. In fact, for the purpose of this debate, I'm going to forget the fact I'm even a Muslim. I'm going to go back in time 15 years to when I was an agnostic. Now, the reason I'm doing this are twofold. The first reason, I don't want to look at this through preconceived biased glasses, trying to fit Jesus into my worldview as a Muslim. Second, and for me this is more interesting, because after I became a Muslim, I met Christians, and when I told them I embraced Islam, they said to me, you only became a Muslim because they got to you first. That if, if, if we Christians got to you first, you'd have become a Christian, but because they got to you, you became a Muslim, because once you're agnostic, we would have just shown you the truth, which is Jesus died for your sins, and Jesus is God. Now, for that to happen, I would need to accept Jesus is God. And so here we are, an agnostic testing this claim, is Jesus God? Now, I warn you guys, back then I was a pure logical intellectual tip, and thus that is how I'm approaching this. Pure logic. Yeah? No emotion here, no hocus pocus here, no smoke and mirrors here. Pure logic. Simple logic. 
So how can I test this claim? Well, first I need to know about Jesus and who he was, what he said and what people said about him. So what sources could I use to find the information I need? Well, one thing is for sure, secular history isn't going to help me as according to historians. There's nothing written about Jesus and his miracles anywhere outside of the Bible that will remotely help this claim. So that's a pointless exercise. So the only thing we have left to test a claim is the Bible. So let's look at the Bible and let's see if we can find uh, this claim in there. Well, the Bible split into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, is there anything in the Old Testament that can help us? Well, as far as I have seen, Jesus isn't mentioned by name in the Old Testament. There is, however, prophecies of a Messiah that the Jews were waiting for. Also, it is pretty clear from the Old Testament that God is an all-powerful, all-knowing and has no partners. We read this in Isaiah 45.5. I am the Lord. There is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. There is nothing here to indicate that this Messiah will be this one God. So now we have seen the Old Testament can't help the claim. We're only left with what? The New Testament. Now, before we do this, we need to try and establish which Bible version should be relied upon. As we know, there are many different versions. Some claiming verses have been removed wrongly, whilst others claiming words have been put into the mouth of Jesus he may never have said. Now, I know Calton here loves the KJV. Not sure why. Um, <laughs> I think it's because he thinks that you can't prove there's fabricated verses within it because nothing is removed. And maybe he can tell us that when he um, presents. Anyhow, the New Testament. Now, this is made up of the supposed letters of Paul, the supposed epistles of the apostles, Acts of the Apostles, and four different versions of the prophetic life of Jesus, and of course, a dream at the end. So which of these sources of, uh, can help our claim? Well, the supposed letters of Paul cannot help us, as he himself never met Jesus. He never sat with him, he never ate with him, he never traveled with him. He never heard any of his parables, nor witnessed any of his miracles. He claims to have met Jesus on the road to Damascus, but I would ask the question, how would he have known who he was talking to? For me, his supposed letters cannot help the claim. Now we come to Acts of the Apostles, or as it seems, the Acts of Paul. Now for me, this is a dubious source, as its supposed author Luke is also somebody who never walked with Jesus. He seems to focus most of his book on Paul and his teachings and adventures. Although it does contain some accounts of the chosen disciples of Jesus, and thus those could be looked at and examined too, if they support that Jesus is the one God here in the flesh. The epistles could also be looked at, although there's a question mark over their authorship. The dream at the end cannot be verified. From what I have read, the writing styles of Revelations and that of the Gospel of John um, are different. So this indicates they're not written by the same person. So finally, after stripping everything else away, we're left with the four different versions of the prophetic life of Jesus, also known as the four Gospels. Now, even within these Gospels, there are problems. First thing, they're anonymous. None of the authors disclose their identity. So we, we, we don't even know if they were the ones there present, eyewitnesses. We don't know this. That's the first problem we have. Now, the first three Gospels, Mark, Matthew and Luke, are also known as synoptic Gospels. Now, they all seem to tell the story in roughly the same way, with a few minor details changed. It's thought that the anonymous authors of Luke and Matthew copied much of their work from the anonymous author of Mark, as well as taking extra verses from the mysterious Q source of which there is no trace. If you read the verses found in these Gospels, you will see Jesus evolving from a prophet to something more spectacular. For example, when Peter is asked in Mark 8.29, who do you say I am? He replies, you're the Messiah. 
Jesus responds, don't tell anyone about this. Now, in Matthew 16, 16, the same question is asked. Peter responds this time, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Then Jesus says, flesh and blood have not revealed this, but my father in heaven. So we see now the author of Matthew has embellished. He's added extra words now. Mark never said son of the living God. Now we have extra words from Matthew. Another example is in Mark 5.30, where Jesus is touched by someone in the crowd and he felt power drain and he asked, who touched my clothes? This is showing a lack of knowledge. In Matthew 9, he has no need now to ask who touched him. In the same incident, he turns and he knows whoever she is and he says, why did you touch me? So the lack of knowledge has now been removed. So we can see this evolution occurring. Now, a final example how Jesus wasn't all-knowing and all-powerful, and again, another example of this evolution, is in Mark 11:12. we find the story of the fig tree. It goes like this. Jesus was hungry after traveling from Bethany. He saw a fig tree in leaf in the distance. He went to see if he could find anything to eat. When he came to it, all he found was leaves because it wasn't the season for figs. Jesus then purses, curses this poor innocent tree that had done nothing more than follow its creator's will, saying, may nobody eat of your fruit again. The next morning, whilst passing the tree, Peter saw the fig tree dried up from the roots and told Jesus about it. Jesus responds by saying, faith in God can do more than that. It's as if he's proud of what he's done. He's saying, yeah, we've done the tree. Don't worry about that. If you have faith in God, you can move a mountain. So there was no remorse for the tree. Yeah, it's done. Okay. Now, in Matthew 21, 19, we find subtle differences. Instead of the fig tree being in the distance, it's now on the roadside, meaning Jesus didn't traipse across to get to this tree, realizing there was nothing there. It's been reduced for him now, so it just happened to be next to him. Second thing, the reason why there was no figs on the tree is also removed. So in Mark, where we know there was no figs because why? It wasn't the season for figs. Matthew now has removed that. So now the tree has no excuse for not having figs. Also, the miracle is instant. When Jesus curses the tree in Matthew, it withers immediately. Whereas in Mark, it's the next day it withers. So we can see Mark's embellishing again. Now, the other thing we should also be noted here, the actual incident of the fig tree. Now, according to Matthew, Jesus cursed the tree after driving the money changers out of the temple. You know, when he overturned the tables. Um, anyhow, in Mark... He, um, while in Mark, he carries, uh, sorry, whilst in Mark, it is before he carries out that assault. So there's a difference here. We've got a chronological problem now. This is supposed to be historical eyewitness uh, testimony according to Christian sources. Now we find the event is actually taking place at different times. So this is something else for us to look at. The story highlights the fact, though, that Jesus was not all-knowing because he didn't know there was no figs on the tree. It shows he wasn't powerful, because why, if he is God, make the figs grow, make bananas grow, forget figs, yeah? And why, why uh, question, his judgment is called into question when he destroys a perfectly healthy tree. So these are things to consider when you're trying to say that Jesus is an all-powerful God walking on earth. Even the young girl he heals is exaggerated. In Mark, the girl is sick. In Matthew, she's already dead. So we can look more at problems with the Gospel of Matthew later and its exaggerations. Now we come to the fourth Gospel. The Gospel named John is another anonymously written book. Now this appears to be a completely different animal to the first three Gospels. According to Bible scholars, there are three different authors involved with it. Now I'm pretty sure this is going to be the main source of Carlton's claims. Anyhow, for the purpose of debate, I will not challenge the authorship for now. 
and I'll treat it with the same amount of merit that Orthodox Christianity gives to it, although I will, of course, question interpretation. So there we have it. I've narrowed down the source of which the claim can be fully tested, the four versions of the ministry of Jesus of which contain the supposed teachings of Jesus. Now, the first question to ask, did Jesus, make himself, did Jesus himself make a claim that he is God? Or did he show distinction between himself and God? Well, a simple answer is, no, he didn't. If you read the verses found in the Gospels, it's clear that he is not making such a claim. Second question, did he demonstrate to the people he was God in the flesh? Did he demonstrate an all-knowing capacity? Did he demonstrate an all-powerful capacity? What is it that gave Orthodox Christians the belief that Jesus walking on the earth was God? From what I can see, there is nothing. Also, a further problem is now created. As we know from these Gospels that Jesus prayed to God, begged God to be saved from the cross, cried out to God whilst on said cross, never claimed any power, was his own, always, never claimed any power was his own, giving recognition to God, the one who sent him. So now the question needs to be asked, how can God be Jesus as well as be the one being prayed to, etc.? Because if there is only one God, then your claim is that Jesus is God, which means God is Jesus. So now I've established where we should find the reasons for this claim. Let's hear the claim and the reasons for it. Thank you. Okay, good evening, everyone, and um, welcome to our dialogue or debate. Uh, the title is is Jesus God and I too want to thank everyone for, for being here for those who've organized it and arranged it. <clears throat> um, unfortunately I've not got the lead to my projector so although it's really important you understand the words that I'm going to share from the Bible in order to answer the question is Jesus God I'll have to read them for you carefully in fact I've got them on um, my laptop and if I give Honorable Zach the Bible, he can check that uh, every word I say is exactly as it appears in the Bible. Uh, a question. What was given to Isa? And um, unlike uh, Hamza, who isn't going to refer to uh, the books, the Bible or the Quran, I am going to refer to uh, those books because I think they are important basis for faith. Uh, our logic isn't always logical. So... Um, Surah 2, Ayah 136, the Quran says, Say, we believe in Allah and in that which had been revealed to us, Muslims, and in that which was revealed to Ibrahim and Ismail and Ishaq and Yaqub and the tribes, and in that which was given to Musa and Isa, and in that which was given to the prophets from their Lord, we do not make any distinction between any of them and to him, Allah, do we submit. So, the Quran says that um, Allah and the prophets make no distinction between the Quran and the Bible. The Quran, let's say that again, the Quran says there is no distinction between them. Why is that important? Well, uh, in Surah 2, verse 136, it says, We believe in Allah and in that which has been revealed to us, and in that which is revealed to... Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm going through the same slides. So, there is no distinction. Yeah. So, here, here's my question. Should I believe the Quran 
or what people say about the Quran? Thank you. Uh, I think I should believe the Quran. The Quran says there's no distinction. <coughs> Thank you. Should I believe the uh, Imams and the scholars? Should I believe Zakir Naik or Ahmed Didat? Um, or should I believe the Quran? What I read in the Quran? Should I believe the Bible? You see, um, Ahmed Didat, who started the Islamic Research Center just on Coventry Road, not too far from here. I'm from Birmingham, actually. I grew up in Allen Rock. Um, as a, as a little child, so I know this area better than most of you. Um, <clears throat> so it doesn't matter how eloquent these guys are, it has to be important for Muslims to read the Quran and to understand the Quran. Um, you see, many of the arguments that we hear from a lot of the uh, young quality guys originated with Ahmed Didat. But surely the Quran must take priority over them all. And if it is the words of God and a person reads that and they see one thing in the Quran and they hear something else, I say they should prioritize what they see in the Quran. And if there is a disagreement, surely the Quran should take priority over that. I'm a Christian and for me the final authority in matters of belief is the Bible. I know the Quran says there is no distinction. But the scholar says these aren't the originals. So my question is, which version did the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, uh, which versions of the Bible, Old and New Testaments, did he have? I'm told repeatedly that what we have now aren't the originals. So where are the originals? If Allah gave these, then he hasn't given them very well because they're lost. That seems to make no sense to me. So... Um, <clears throat> If Muhammad couldn't read or write Arabic, uh, and yet the Quran um, says that he uh, verified no distinction between the Quran and the Bible, Old and New Testaments, it means that what we have, which is what the Jews uh, used in the time of Muhammad, and Christians have used, although it was in Greek uh, and uh, Latin, we can be confident that what we read in the Bible is what was verified by the Quran. Thank you. Now, so let's get to the particular topic. Is Jesus God? And it's a very important question. Uh, and my answer is going to sound uh, a little strange. So my answer is, it depends when you ask the question. Okay, what do I mean by that? <clears throat> if you ask the question today, is Jesus God? Then according to the Bible, the answer is yes. If you ask the question 2,000 years ago, while he walked upon the earth, there is no doubt he was not Almighty God. He was a man. Uh, and if you ask the question 3,000 years ago and earlier, the answer is yes, he was God, uh, according to the Bible. So, 3,000 years ago, before he became a human being on earth, he was God, the Creator, the Almighty God. After his ascension, and we'll have a look at these verses in, in a while, um, he was the creator, almighty God again. But let's start with the Old Testament. We're going to look at the book of uh, Ezekiel. Yeah, well, you, you, you have to trust me on, on this, this Old Testament one. It's the New Testament one that will be controversial. So in Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 24, um, Ezekiel saw a number of different beings and then verse 24 says, When they went, 
I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of great waters, as the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, as the noise of an host. When they stood, they let down their wings. And there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads when they stood and had let down their wings. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of a throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw as the color of amber. What color is amber? Orange, gold. As the appearance of fire round about within it. From the appearance of his loins even upward and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire and it had the brightness round about. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of, uh, in the, the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That means Jehovah. So it looked like Jehovah. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spake. So Ezekiel sees a vision and he recognizes from what he sees in the vision that this is Almighty God and he bows down. We will see those terms again in the New Testament referring to Jesus. So 3,000 years ago, Ezekiel saw uh, Almighty God, Jehovah. Today, so in order to talk about what Jesus is like today, we're going to the book of Revelation. It's called Revelation because verse 1 says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. You want to know what Jesus Christ is like? You read the book of Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we're going to read chapter 1. And in chapter 1 we'll find that Jesus is the Lord, the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty God. So we'll start with verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Verse two, 3. And it says, Blessed is he that reads, that hears, and understands. So you want to be blessed? You want to be happy? You want to be uh, knowledgeable? Read the book of Revelation. Hear the book of Revelation. And understand the book of Revelation. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The starting point to understand the nature of Christ is the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Next slide. Now, in verse 5, it, it makes it clear that Jesus is alive. He's the Savior. He's the Lord, the Alpha and the Omega, the Almighty God. So let me read verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Verse 7, Jesus is coming again. Verse 7 says, Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Jesus Christ is coming again. Every eye will see him, and they also which pierced him, those who crucified him, they are going to be raised and see him come back again. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Why will they wail? Why will they cry? Why will they be really unhappy when Christ comes again? Because they're not expecting him. They don't believe in him. And as a consequence, they're not following his way of life. It will be a terrible and sad time. And it finishes verse um, 7 by saying, even though they're going to wail because of him, amen. In other words, so let it be. Because although it will be a sad time, 
Many people have had an opportunity to hear about Jesus, to read about Jesus, to understand what his mission was, but they haven't taken it up. But this world cannot continue as it has been with all the terrible things that are happening. It has to come to an end sometime. And when it comes to an end, if people aren't ready, that's the beginning of a new creation, a new life with all this madness gone. Verse 8. And this is the key verse now. Verse 8 says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now those words are very, very strong. Wouldn't it be interesting to know who's saying them? So far we don't know, but let me read the words again. Alpha and Omega, beginning and the ending, the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, which is present, which was past, which is to come future, eternal. And it finishes by saying in verse 8, the Almighty. Who's speaking? We're going to find out. So verse 9, John says, um, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in the tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos in the Greek islands for the word of God. He was exiled from his home to the island uh, and he was there for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, the Sabbath day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Ezekiel heard a voice, very, very loud voice. John says he heard a voice behind him like a trumpet, really loud. Verse 11, again, the voice said, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, what you see right in a book. So he heard the voice behind him. Now, if you hear a very loud voice, um, often you'll turn and look and see what's going on. So what John saw in the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ are the events leading up to the end of the world. I'm telling you a little bit about the book of Revelation. Those um, prophecies in the book of Revelation are symbolic. They take study, prayerful study, to understand. And the things that we see happening today are foretold in the book of Revelation. The mark of the beast, the eternal life and the conditions that uh, we need to receive eternal life. Um, we need to stop. Um, we need to stop and think why John was in exile uh, for um, the word of God, for explaining the word of God, for sharing what he saw Jesus Christ do. Nobody wants you to know these things. And although I haven't got time to go into it, verse eight, all the modern Bibles, all the modern Bibles to answer your question as to why I prefer the King James, all the modern Bibles take out uh, the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, and the Almighty in verse 8, because we're now going to see who it is who's talking. So verse 12 of Revelation chapter 1, John says, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the middle of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. So here's the voice, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, uh, the Almighty, the first and the last, and he sees... And because he walked the roads of Jerusalem with Jesus and Bethlehem, he recognized who it was. And this is the son of um, man who is speaking and saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the, the first and the last. Now, I believe what the Bible says. His head and his hairs were white like wool and as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. Remember what Ezekiel saw? Fire all about. And his feet like unto fine brass as if burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Hebrews 4 verse 12, next slide, 
um, explains that the Bible or the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. Out of the, the voice that was behind him, out of, uh, out of Jesus' mouth comes a, uh, something that's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's the word. John chapter 1, verse 1, you all know it. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was nothing made that was made. So, this is consistent. Jesus has the word of God coming out of his mouth, sharper than a two-edged sword. He is um, the same person who in John chapter 1 is described as the word, being with God, being God, and all things were made by the word, were made by Jesus. And he's making that clear to John now as he tells John about the future. Um, Yes, just let me see. Uh, so Revelation um, finishes by saying that Jesus says, I am he that lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. In other words, Christ died as a human being, raised back to life. He will now live forever. Before he became a human being, he was the beginning. All things were made by him. Nothing exists in the universe that wasn't made by Jesus Christ. He became a human being. He lived as a human being, uh, and then after he died and resurrected and went back to heaven, he is now the Almighty God. And he comes to John, letting John know what's going to happen in the future, and he introduces himself as the Almighty God. So, do you want to live forever? Only he that was in heaven has come down and lived on earth and knows what it is to uh, be a human being can judge you fairly. And that's what Jesus did. So he's our saviour, he's our mediator, and... When he became a human being, he lived on earth, he died on earth, he rose again. No doubt he was a human being. In John 17 verse 5, in his prayer, he says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Thank you very much. Before the world was. So in that prayer, you know verse 3 very well of John 17. But that prayer, he says, give me the glory that I had before the world was. What you love is the verse, the two verses before that, which I'll read for you. John 17, verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the Father, the only true God. No doubt about it. And life eternal, know the Father and Jesus Christ, whom the Father has sent. What you like is know the Father. You don't like and Jesus Christ. And he says, verse 4 of John 17, I've glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And in verse 5, give me the glory I had before I came. Why don't we read verse 5 as well? So, there is no doubt in my mind that Jesus Christ is Almighty God. All things were made by him. When he lived on earth, he cannot be God because he's a man. He's just like you and I. And so, in order to be like you and I. Many Christians say that um, Jesus, when he walked on earth, was um, God and man. Well, are we God and men? Because uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, it says he was made just like us. So if he was God and man, as most Christians say, and we aren't God and men, then he can't be just like us. He was born of a woman. He was a human being. And he lived just like us. So most of the reasons why um, you, my Muslim brothers, brothers get uh, upset is that you only focus on his time on earth. No doubt about it, he was a human being, 100%.
but he existed before and he exists after for all time. Thank you very much.